0: Well, if that wasn't so sad, that would be funny. What you've just witnessed are not people from another planet, but people that are the product of a secular education, of a liberal education in America today that is void of God, and that's what it produces. It's amazing to me how people can stand before the ocean and see the great ocean constrained by the sand, as the Scripture says that God put boundaries around the sand and not believe in God amazing to me is any person can stand and look up at the stars in the sky and read the astronomers as they tell us that the bigger the telescope the more they see and not be aware of God but it's also equally amazing to me that a person can stand and look at the devastation of a tornado can look at the violence in a nation under the hand of a dictator and not know that there's evil in the world and evil in the world the Bible says is directed by one key spiritual being his name is called Satan he is called Lucifer he is the devil He is the accuser of the brethren. The scripture says he's a murderer. He's a liar from the beginning. He's the one that was present in the book of Genesis. He somehow took the form of a serpent and got us in this mess we're in. And all the evil that you see in the world today can be attributed back to him. But I want to tell you, my friend, in one verse in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, with no fanfare, he's cast into the bottomless pit forever and ever and ever. But until that time, you've got to deal with him. And I bring that up to you to show you as we continue this message called opposition. I want to read from Acts chapter 13, verse 6. Paul and Barnabas, two great Christian missionaries on the island of Cyprus. And in their journey, verse 6, it says, They came upon a certain magician. Now listen to the words. A magician and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus literally meant the son of Jesus. Not Jesus Christ as we know him as Savior, but another Jesus. It was a common name. He was, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Now, this man, Sergius Paulus, was a Roman governor, we might say. He was over both the civil and the military affairs of this island. He was appointed by the Roman Senate. He was a man of power. But I want you to see how this magician, this false prophet, was influencing him. Sergius Paulus summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elmaeus, another name for this bard Jesus, perhaps a nickname, Elmias the magician, what's the scripture say? Opposed them. He opposed them and his purpose was he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here you have this guy as a, t- a pawn in the hand of Satan to try to stop God's work in this man's life. Verse 9, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, say it with me, you... Son of the devil, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then, of course, it recorded the miraculous thing, this sorcerer was made blind by the power of God, and then the proconsul listened and was amazed and came to Christ because of the truth he heard and the power of God he experienced. Now, I I, I read this Testament. There's a New Testament passage to show us very clearly that Satan will somehow use people, whether they know it or whether it's unknown to them, to oppose the work of God, to somehow stop the work of God, to hinder the work of God in my life in terms of what I receive from God, but also in terms of what I do. And this series, these few messages on opposition have been about how Satan uses people to oppose what God wants to do through you. Now, we've been looking in the book of Nehemiah, an Old Testament book, and Nehemiah, um, was, he was our role model. And Nehemiah, literally what he was doing, he was a Jewish man, and he was going back to the city of Jerusalem to help rebuild the city. It was broken down. Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life. The Jewish temple was there. The wall was broken down. The people were in trouble. For decades, they had not been practicing the Scripture and living by the law of Moses. And they were in big trouble. And God was using this man, Nehemiah, to literally advance God's kingdom and get the nation going again. Well, lo and behold, he was opposed by two people. You remember what their names were? There you go, Sanballat and Tobiah, and these two guys. What we're going to see—they begin their opposition in the second chapter, and today, all the way at the end of the book, chapter thirteen, they're still exercising strategies and tactics to stop the advancement of God's kingdom. So, as we look at this, we're going to look at it not only historically, but I want you to be able to see what goes on in our culture around us. You may recall last week I asked you the question. Uh, do, you, do you see evil at work in America? Do you see opposition? And we talked about the national health care debate now and how in, in health care legislation how it's, it was supposed to be required that, that uh, religious institutions, be they universities or be they uh, charities, that they were going to be required to include abortion coverage in their health insurance. Well, it's a big debate in America. and You can see it's divided the religious people from the secular people. Well, I ask the question, do you think there could be some opposition behind this? Do you think somehow evil Satan may be involved in this? And I'm not saying a government official is Satan or they're possessed or anything, but I'll suggest to you they're advancing an agenda, and this is how evil works. So let's explore the Scripture, Opposition Part 3, and there's two strategies that I think you're going to really identify with today because Satan wants to stop you from what God wants to do in your life. And here's two things he's going to use that you'll see this morning. Number one is he wants you to be influenced by the wrong people. How many know there's a, right, a good set of folks encouraging you to go in the right direction, but how many know there's also friends that are going to pull you off the path? That's the first thing. The second strategy that we'll see is that Satan wants to pull you back in your old life of sin. In other words, he wants you to go back to be the way that you used to be. And most of us in this room have a very stark contrast to the life we're trying to live now as a Christian, the values we have and what we used to have, you know, some period of time ago. So let's look at these two things. Nehemiah chapter 13, we're going to begin with his first strategy, is Satan wants you to be influenced by the wrong people. Now, obviously, we're talking about Tobiah, but he's not the only one. So let's look here, Nehemiah 13, verse 4. It begins with a man named Eliashab the priest. Now, he's actually the high priest. He was the senior religious leader of Israel. Uh, he's the supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of God. And he was also a relative of Tobiah. Now, Tobiah is the bad guy. Uh, Eliashab is supposed to be the man leading the people in the ways of God. But somehow they're connected by marriage. Verse 5. Uh, The priest had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. In other words, we're going to give you this room and you do whatever you want to. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense. Frankincense was, was an incense. It was a type of spice that was literally burned in the temple symbolizing the prayers going to heaven. Secondly, various articles from the temple. For example, in our church today, the communion set. When we have communion once a month, It's almost like there was a storage place for that, and we got rid of the communion stuff, and we let Tobiah get in there. And the tithes of the grain, new wine, and olive oil. Now, what that was for is that when the people, when God would provide for them, they would bring their tithe, and it wouldn't be a check or a debit card. It would be corn, it would be grain, and they would store it at the temple at the church and the priests and Levites who led the ministry there—that's how they would care for their lives and families, and that's how the temple sustained itself. So this room was basically dedicated to God and His work. And Tobiah had come in, and the work of God had stopped. Now let me give you an illustration. What if? What impact did you think would you think it would have if we let a drug dealer start using our connect room in our cafe? Now, the drug dealer I'm talking about is not the guy that's got saggy pants. Come on. It's not the guy that's got tattooed from head to toe with a a T-shirt, you know, that said legalize marijuana. That's not the guy I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy or the girl that drives up and, let's take a lady. She drives up in her Beamer. I mean, and it's not spinning rims either. She is miss, looks like Miss Conservative. She's, you know, she's dressed to the hilt. And she comes in and introduces herself as a, as a, as a believer. Uh, she's got some Christian heritage in her life. And she comes with a wad of $100 bills. And she starts going to the staff and says, Jeff, I'd like to give this. I want you to have a good time tonight. God bless you. And she starts looking for different people. And everywhere she walks through the church, how many know she's going to have a lot of friends pretty quick? Yeah, it's just like, and then she says, yeah, I'd like to do this ministry in the community. I'm all about helping people. And somehow Eliashiv has no discernment, so he brings her in. And lo and behold, as she comes in, people are just coming in all the time. And everybody's excited about it because, I mean, after all, people are coming to church, but they're coming to church to buy drugs. And it's almost like there's no awareness that something wrong is happening. And when you try to use the cafe to teach a Bible class, she says, no, you can't do that because uh, I've got my ministry going on today and, and we want new people to come in the connect room, meet people, get involved. Well, you can't use that either because we're having a meeting in there. Now You might laugh at that and think it's a bit stark, but that's exactly what was happening with Tobiah. He took over that room and he began to use it for purposes that were in opposition to the work of God. This man was the one that was trying to stop Nehemiah's work. Now, let's see how Nehemiah responds. Verse 6, Nehemiah was at Jerusalem at the time. Now, that's significant because we're going to learn this morning is that whenever there's a void of true spiritual leadership, the devil will come in with a counterfeit. And lo and behold, Nehemiah is gone. But verse 8, when he came back, or verse 7, he came back to Jerusalem. He learned about Eliasheb's evil deed. Can you say evil deed? Now, if you remember the spirit of those folks we saw in the video, it's almost like there's no such thing as evil in the world, and I'm the one that gets to determine what's right and wrong. Now, did you pick up that spirit of that video that I analyze the facts, I decide, I am the sinner. It's like our world has deified self. It's the modern idolatry, in my opinion, the worship of self, and we have elevated ourselves to the place of God, so we get to decide what's right and what's wrong. Well, that's basically what's happening here. Nehemiah, though, verse 8, became very upset and threw all Tobiah's belongings out of the room. And then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the communion trays, etc., the grain offerings and the frankincense. Now, let's look at this passage kind of in a broad nutshell. We see this guy named Tobiah. Let me tell you who he was. First of all, he was, he was, Tobiah was a man... He was called in verse, uh, to chapter 2, verse 10, the Ammonite, Tobiah the Ammonite. Now, an Ammonite came from incest between Lot, remember when he left Sodom and Gomorrah with his two daughters, and his two daughters in the cave, he has sexual relations with them, and two children are born, Moab and Ammon. So this is the heritage of Tobiah. And God had said the people that are going to serve in the temple need to be pure. In other words, they need to be Jewish people. They need to be of the lineage. They need to have their genealogy proven because one day Christ is going to be born through this Jewish people. The temple is God's sacred and holy place. But, but this Ammonite was kind of half and half. Tobiah, his name literally meant Yahweh, Old Testament name for God. Yahweh is good. So he was a half-Jewish guy, he was related in marriage to the high priest, and it was all kind of intertangled and, in, and intermixed. How I mean, you know when Satan's opposing you, he doesn't come to you with red horns and a pitchfork? I mean, he doesn't look like that. And he also doesn't come... Uh, the only horror movie I've ever seen in my life was The Exorcist. I just don't like stuff to make me afraid, and some stupid girl got me to go with it when I was a kid, and I still have that in my mind. Isn't it amazing how images will lock in your mind? That's why you want to guard your eye gates. Well, Satan is not like that girl, whatever her name was. I don't even remember if it was a girl or a guy, but whoever was that had the long tongue and the green vomit and all that, that is not the way the devil is. See, we've learned that the devil is an angel of light, and his false apostles masquerade as angels of light as well. Well, that's what Tobiah was doing. Now, let me ask you this question. What was wrong with giving this guy room? I mean, after all, we're doing a community service. We're helping somebody that's got a ministry in the community. Everybody likes Tobiah. What what was the big deal about giving in a room that they weren't using much anyway? I'll tell you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 23.3, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, an Old Testament passage written by Moses, ignored by the people of their day. Now, this is huge because I'll suggest to you that this is where it starts. When we begin to ignore the Bible's clear teaching and do what we want to do, come on, instead of what God tells us to do. See, there's some things in life that I may want to do and I may enjoy doing. That's what temptation's all about. I mean, I mean, you know, the devil doesn't tempt you to do something that you don't want to do. He tempts you to do something that you would like to do and he wants you to cross the line. And, and as a believer, we shouldn't cross the line, not because we don't feel like it, but because God has told us. This is the essence of being a Christian, submitting your life to God and following Him. Stepping off that throne of self-determination and allowing God to set the commandments of life and not the suggestions. And that's why he shouldn't have been in the room, had nothing to do with whether we liked him or not. Now, uh, and then of course you know Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah, of course, he kicked him out of the room. But deeper than that, Nehemiah obeyed the Word of God. And and if I could say one thing to you this morning, if you want to keep evil out of your world, if you don't want to be influenced by the wrong people, as you learn and know what the Bible has to say, if people are trying to lead you in that direction, you know what we need to say? No, I'm not going there because I'm going to obey God and then Nehemiah restored the temple to its proper place. Now, with that background, now let me give you some spiritual lessons that we can learn from this. When I read the Bible, I'm not just looking for facts. Now, listen, you need historical facts. Let me know, I believe you need a good study Bible. Uh, I'm reading right now the English Standard Version, ESV study Bible. It's a great one. If I was new to the charismatic or full gospel world, I would get the Spirit-filled life Bible, a great study Bible. And there's many others that are real good, but I would always get something to help me understand what was going on 2,000 years ago, what the culture was, what the traditions, what the language meant that you can't pick up today. Now, let me give you three spiritual lessons, and here's the first one about the devil's tactics. When Bible-believing leaders are absent, Satan quickly moves his people into place. Let me say it again. When Bible-believing leaders are absent, Satan quickly moves his people into place to undermine the work of God. Now remember, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and then Tobiah got a room right in the house. Well, let me say it this way. If spiritual leaders, Bible-believing leaders, are absent in the church, if the Bible-believing leader is not the bishop of the church, the church will promote same-sex marriage. This, this week, two legislatures, two state legislatures in America voted on same-sex marriage. It's a big issue. Well, listen, to believe that it's something that's wrong is not just a personal assessment, but the Bible teaches, come on, that ma- marriage is to be between a man and a woman in a monogamous covenant relationship for all their days. And you say, well, I feel attraction to people of the same sex. Well, guess what? Just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to do it. And that's the spirit of the world. If I feel like doing it and want to do it, therefore it must be right. Can I tell you, that's where the commandments of God come in place. And as a believer, I choose to flow with the commandment, not my feeling. Not rocket science. But if you're you're missing a Bible-believing leader in the home, your children will run amok. Listen, thank God for a parent that will say, we're not going to have a TV, we're not going to have a computer in your room, honey. Why not, Daddy? Everybody else does. Because, honey, I want to see your face and I'm, I want to know what's feeding your mind. I don't want you laying up in bed at 2 in the morning watching N T V See, and, and this, is, this, is, this is what happens when there's a void. If it's a void in the family, how about this? Would you agree with me that there's a void of Bible-believing leaders in our state government and in our, our national government today? As America becomes all more centralized in her government for a, a wrong reason, an unconstitutional reason, or certainly a non-federalist reason, as we become more centralized, and you watch those men and women in Washington, the things they do, do you ever just scratch your head and say, what are they thinking? Why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they leading our nation in this direction? It's because there's missing Bible-based leadership and values. Okay, well, I got half of you. Half is better than nothing. But that's the first thing. If Bible-based leaders are absent, Satan will fill the void. Now, here's another one, 1 Corinthians 33. And this is something that will relate to everyone in this room. If I let the wrong people influence me, my spiritual life will be affected. Let me say it again, if the wrong people influence me, my spiritual life will be affected. 1 Corinthians fifteen 33, don't be deceived, bad company, say it with me. Yeah, ruins good morals. New Century Version, don't be fooled, bad friends will ruin good habits. Now, I've been a Christian a long time, but I was not a Christian in my late teenage years, and I remember the first time that I drank alcohol. I was 15 years of age. I was coming back from, uh, we lost the district playoff. I was on the baseball team. I was a ninth grader and uh, played second base. And boy, baseball was my life. And I was riding home with the seniors. Well, guess what a bunch of seniors want to do that aren't godly guys after the ball game is over and you've just lost your senior game. Where are they going to stop? Yeah, the beer store. Come on, you can even say it out loud. Can you say that out loud in church, the beer store? meddling your family a little bit here. They stopped at the beer store. Now, now, here was my background. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He didn't just drink. He drank a case of beer a day. He smoked a pack of palm oil cigarettes. But I loved him with all my heart. Called him Gran. Grand drank himself to death. Uh, I can remember one time being awakened in the middle of the night because Grand was too drunk to put his foot on the brake of the truck and drove the truck into the house. I mean, I knew the downside of alcohol. But when I was 15 and 18-year-olds stopped and they put that little whatever it was and twisted the top and put it in my hands, I remember that like it was yesterday because the wrong people were trying to lead me down the path. Now, I tell my kids all the time, listen, if you ever get in a situation and things are happening that shouldn't be happening, you get out of the car and I don't care where you are in this world, I will find a way to get you. Now, that's easy to say as you're a parent disconnected, but when you're a kid valuing the influence of older people, I want to tell you, peer pressure is hard at any age. So I faked it for a while. I'd put it in my mouth and it was the nastiest stuff I'd ever put in my mouth. And look, beer is just nasty tasting. How do you know? (laughs) It's just nasty tasting. And after you can only do that, so they're throwing their bottles out and hitting signs and hitting mailboxes. So I threw mine out. The only difference was with mine, all the beer went with it. And then I had another problem because now they're laughing at me because I'm wasting their beer because they bought it. I'm just telling you. You know what? That wasn't the first time. And the saddest memories I have in my life happened when I was 16, 17, 18, some 19 years of age. The regrets that I have in my life because the influence of the wrong people. Now, I want to tell you, the wrong people will influence your spiritual life. And here's where the choice has to be made. There's some people you need to separate yourself from. Now, listen to me. This will help you. There's some people you need to get away from. The first person that put something in my hand to smoke, I should have said, Sayonara. I will see you later. And done it that day rather than waiting two or three years later. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You're pretty quiet this morning. Here's the third lesson. I must break ties with people who are negatively influencing my spiritual life. I've got to break ties. The Bible says, verse 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers or don't be unequally yoked. Verse 15, what harmony can there be between Christ? So now we're categorizing the the connection between the unbeliever in rebellion against God with the devil. Come out from among the unbeliever and separate yourself. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Now here's the decision you've got to make. Do I want to be welcomed and approved by the people of this world or do I want God's approval? And, and, and if I could balance this, how many know Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors and, and sinners? But when Jesus, there's several, several stories of prostitutes converted to Christ. When Jesus had a relationship with a prostitute, it was not to sleep with her. Come on, it was to convert her. And here's the deal. You should connect with all people in the world as long as you're doing the influencing. But when they start to influence you and pull you into their world, you need to break the ties. Because you need to come out. Everybody say, come out. There's way many people that act think they're Christians, but they have no fruit in their life because they've never repented. Come on. They've never turned away from the world. They've never said no to the things that are wrong, that are sinful, because they still felt like doing it, and God was good, and God was merciful, and God will forgive me, blah, blah, blah. But they have never turned their heart to God. And I'm telling you, you need to get away from the Tobiah in your life. And if he is in your storeroom, you need to kick him out the door. Come on. You need to do what Nehemiah did, and you need to clean house he needs to get his act together repent of the drugs repent of everything and start living the life or you need to tell him move on down the road and thank God young people if you have a parent that tells you sometimes that this person is not good for you you're not going to be with them but dad remember the movie Courageous? Remember the, the police officer? He was an African-American. He had a 15-year-old daughter. Remember the scenario? And, and, and this, this guy that's in a gang at 17 is appealing to her. Come on, all young girls are, 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 are infatuated or they think there's something's going on if there's an older guy that's interested. And mom and dad had discernment, and they said, he said to the kid, the dad cared enough to go to the kid in the yard and say look you're just not going to date my daughter we just don't we don't let her associate with people we don't know but you're welcome to have dinner with us Sunday after church and boy he you know he muttered some things and went away and sassed a little bit and this little girl is going (laughs) oops But Dad loved enough. And then as the movie unfolded, the drug dealer, come on, he's in the back of the car in a shootout with other drug dealers. You need some boundaries in your life, come on, to put between you and the people that are going to pull you in a ditch because they'll pull you away from God. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Back in chapter 13, verse 23. Now, it's interesting, this last strategy. This last strategy is Satan wants to tempt us to go back to our old life of sin. Now, this is real if you're 18 or 80. Satan wants to pull you back into the world. Now, it's interesting. If you remember when Sanballat and Tobias started, when Nehemiah goes back to build the wall, the first thing they did was laugh at him. And have me know, if somebody laughs at you when you pray over a meal at school, that's enough to get about 80% of the people to stop praying. That's all it takes. Opposition. But that didn't work with Nehemiah, so he upped the ante and he became angry. Sanballat was an intimidator with his anger. How many know if a mad person that has power or bigger than you yells at you? How many know you can back down? That didn't work, so they sent out death threats. True story. You can go back and listen to it. They sent out death threats, but that didn't work either. Well, now in chapter 13, the wall is built. And if these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, are tools in Satan's hand, if he can't stop you from doing what God wants you to do, once you do it, he wants to destroy it at the bottom. He like, he's like rust. He wants to rust out all the metal of your foundation. He wants to corrode from the inside out. If he can't come against you like that, he'll get inside your world and he'll be a Tobiah and he will, he'll rot your life. Well, this is this last one. He'll try to tempt you to go back to your old life of sin. Now, look at verse 23. Some of the men of Judah had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, you might think, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, she was a good-looking woman, and they wanted her. Isn't that how people think? You're good-looking? I know I'm good-looking, so, you know, let's get together. And therefore, on that basis, but there was a problem with that that we'll explore. The problem was this, is the Scripture said in Deuteronomy 7, don't marry any of these people from the land. Because if you do, they'll turn your children away from me. Well, anyway, look at verse 24. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they couldn't speak the language of Judah at all. That was Hebrew. Well, how many of you can't even speak the language that the Bible, the Old Testament, was written in, you're sure not going to do what it says. So, here's the story. These people... Well, let me keep reading. Verse 25. Nehemiah said, I confronted them, and now this is pretty wild, I called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I'm going to be needing a volunteer in just a moment. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people. Verse 26 wasn't this exactly what King Solomon did to lead Israel into sin? Now, listen to King Solomon. There was no king who would compare to him. God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But listen to this. Even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. And that's the issue. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and actively unfaithfully towards God by marrying foreign women? And the scripture says, Nehemiah purged everything that was evil. Which simply means, literally, he got rid of them. He brought, the marriages were broken up. I mean, it was, a, it was a horrible thing. But they had all that pain because they had stepped over the boundary that God had written. Because God said, I don't want my people, the Israelite people, marrying a pagan person. Now, if they would have just gone along with that, everything would have been cool. Now, I need my volunteer. Where's my volunteer? Zach, Zach has more hair than that. Come on up here. Okay. I want you to imagine. Okay. I'm your old man, okay? No, I'm your mom. I'm your mom. And uh, and let's say you got on drugs. And you got bad messed up. You're so bad messed up. Your picture's in the paper, but you stole my wedding ring. come. You know, now we're being serious stole my wedding ring to hock it at the pawn shop for 50 bucks so you could go out and get some meth and didn't even care. The next day, you, you I caught your wife through my drawer to do it again. The family cares so much about you. You're 22, 23 years old. 22. The family cares so much about you. Are you married? You like to be? Sure. All right. The family cares so much about Him that all the family gets together. We get money together. We borrow money. We send you to a rehab somewhere. It's a Christian place. Maybe it's a teen challenge. And we get you there six months or a year. You straighten your life out. You're clean. Uh, You're walking with God. You're serving the Lord. You're teaching a Bible study. And then you come back home. And you're home about six months. And I come home from work. And there you are laying on the couch. Come on. And you're stoned. You try to, you know, you try to give me the, the, the look and you spray stupid stuff in the air like that's going to help. Doesn't do any good. But I know good and well you're doing drugs. Now, here's what I'm going to do. This is what Nehemiah did. What are you doing? Get up and talk to me, son. And you grab his... And, 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 and uh, you pull away and you say, What do you think you're doing? I do that? Yeah, say, What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? That's what I'm doing. I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of this world. And if you think you're going to go back with those drug dealers, you got another thing coming. You're not coming out of this house until you straighten yourself up. Boy, do you hear me? Say yes, mama. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 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 ma'am. Now, where is your stupid buddy? Is that your stupid friend out in the car? You wait right here. (laughs) What in the blankety blank do you think you are doing to my child? I don't I'll tear your shirt. I'll rip it. Look at me, boy, when I'm talking to you. I don't want to ever see you on this property again. I you get your Facebook, you cancel my you look at me. I don't want you on my child's Facebook page. If I ever see you near him, I'm gonna forget my religion. Do you understand what I'm talking about, boy? I know the police, I know the sheriff, and I know the district attorney. You're not gonna have life in you because I know the funeral director. Now get out of my yard. Go on. Now, why would you do that? Because you uh, hate him? Because you love him. And Israel was doing the same thing that got him in trouble in the first place. Because they married those good-looking pagan women. Come on now. Guys, if a woman is appealing to you with lust, if she wears a medium and has on a small, come on, and you can see more than what's hidden... Something inside you says, got to have her, got to have her, got to have her. But I hope the Christ in you says, don't look again. Turn and walk away. And here you got a godly girl over here. Who knows how many times she slept with somebody. Come, let's just get real. Isn't it amazing that a guy wants to sleep with as many girls as he can. It's probably girls too, but in my day it was the guys and the girls. He wants to sleep with as many girls as he can, but when he gets married, he wants to marry a virgin. He wants to use you, but he doesn't want to marry someone that's been used. And that is as selfish as it comes. You deserve better than that, sister. But isn't it amazing? That's the world we live in today, and it's all around us. I'm telling you, friends, that's what happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah saw it, and he went in there and he said, we're going to do something about this, and here's why. Sin will destroy your life. Now let me wrap up, and I want to give you a couple things about sin. Our guys did a good job there. Give them a big hand. No drugs for you, huh? And you ain't never coming back over here. Let me tell you what the big deal with sin is. Sin is never as good as it promises to be. You don't believe me? Ask Eve after she ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Ask her the first time she had a baby and there was pain. Ask them when they was cast out of the garden. Here's another one. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. You don't believe me? Ask the drug addict with his picture in orange on the front page of our paper. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. You don't believe me? Ask Coach Sandusky, former Coach Sandusky of Penn State. It will take you farther than you want to go. Listen, sin wants to pull you back in your old way of life. Luke's gospel in this very short phrase says, Remember Lot's wife. And in Genesis, we're told that when God told him to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah and don't look back, she looked back and became a pillar of salt. I want to tell you, if you look back at your old life, it's the first step towards a snare. I'm going to close with this scripture. God wants us to rescue people who go back to their old life of sin. It's called backsliding. Now listen, Christian. James 5, verse 19. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Say it with me. But go after them. Go after them and get them back. Verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Can I tell you, my friends... Our arms need to be open to the backslider when they come back in the doors of the church. Come on. When somebody comes in that has been out in the world and has been away from God, the last thing they need to do is see you move away from them. Come on. The last thing they need is is people to talk about them and nobody sit by them. The thing that you need to do is go up to them and shake their hand or hug their neck if it's appropriate and tell them, I am so glad you're here. But don't wait for them just to show up. Listen, Facebook them, call them, send them a message, send them a letter, stop by their house and just say, I have missed you. Listen, the church is not the same. The body of Christ needs you to come back. I'm telling you, I've been out in the world. How about you? And oftentimes nobody is out there to pull you back. But listen, your friends in the world are glad you're there. Come on, they're going to buy another round for you. They're going to pat you on the back. They're going to give you whatever you want, whatever you need. But my friend, they're pulling you down in the ditch. Bible says, listen, we as the people of God should be more loving, come on, than anybody in the world. And when somebody has the guts to come back to church that's been out in the world, come on, you ought to have the Christian love and compassion to welcome them back home. You say, but you don't know what they've done. What have you done? What have you done? Well, I hadn't done that. Have you thought about it? Jesus said, if Jesus said, listen, murder is the same thing as thinking about it in your mind, and adultery is the same thing as lust in your mind, then you're you're as guilty as they are. So let's don't get on a high horse, come on, but care about people because it's the devil that wants you to backslide, come on, and it's God that wants you to come back home. Give the Lord a good hand today. I'm I'm done. Let me close this morning. Let Let me summarize what we've said. They're going to put on the screen right quick. This is what we've tried to learn the last three weeks. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll be back in the book of Nehemiah in a different direction. But we've talked about the tricks that Satan uses to get people to oppose us or oppose God's work on the earth. First of all, they'll make fun of you. Secondly, they'll become angry to try to intimidate you. Third, they'll use threats. And in Nehemiah's case, it was threats of violence that were going to kill him. Fourth, last week we saw traps to intimidate us. Try to catch us in our words. Try to trick us somehow. We also saw last week a religious guy, Shemaiah, used a false prophecy to try to discredit Nehemiah. Nehemiah trusted this guy. He was a trusted guy, but the Bible said he was paid by Tobiah and Sanballat money to try to trick him into doing something where religion was involved. And this morning, of course, we talked about the devil wants to use the wrong people to influence us. And he wants to tempt us to go back to our old way of life. I say, let's don't do it. Let's not let anything stop us. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you today. Lord, as we stand before you today, I dare say that every one of us in this room today wants to hear you say, Well done, when we stand before you one day in heaven. Lord, I want to pray today that you would help all of us. Help me to be able to recognize opposition. You might want to just slip your hands out kind of in like a receiving mode and say, Lord, would you give me discernment? Help me have discernment to read my culture, what goes on in the news. But more importantly, help me to be able to know what's going on in my world. If somebody comes up to me, Lord, let me know if you're behind it or not. Let me know if if they're a tool in Satan's hand, if they're going to be a trick to trick me up. Give me discernment. Because God, I don't want anything to stop me in my walk with you. And I want to pray for all of us today, God, that, that opposition wouldn't stop us but we would do fully and completely what you've called us to do with our life. And this is our prayer today in, in Jesus' name. Anybody see it? Here's how we want to close today. This was good today, was Good day in God's house. Good day. I want to encourage you. Think of somebody that needs to be here next Sunday and bring them with you. Bring them. Tell them to come Saturday night. But anyway, let's close this way in prayer. I'm wondering today if maybe during the message the Holy Spirit really put His finger on some things in your life. I wonder if maybe you're entangled in a relationship with someone that you need to get out of. I cannot think of a better way to get some spiritual courage than to come and pray with somebody. You don't have to say any more than you want to say. But if there's something in your world that's about to pull you down, the wrong person will do it. Listen to me, sir. If there's a woman that's flirting with you, she's out to destroy your marriage... You need some help. You need to get it out of the dark and into the light. Let somebody pray with you. Maybe you're here today and maybe the world is pulling you back. Maybe you're even flirting with the world. You've got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And you just want to come for prayer and say, I want you to help me because I want to live a holy life. I don't want the devil to trick me. I promise you this. If you humble yourself in the place of prayer to God, God will hear that prayer. But in just a minute, here's how we'll close. Our prayer team will come forwards, and they'll pray for anything that you have. We'll sing one song, and then we'll all go home. But let me ask this last opportunity for prayer before we come. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, my greatest need today is that I need a relationship with God. My heart's not where it needs to be with Christ. See, when I was a boy, I was like many perhaps here today. When I got in trouble, because I always believed in God. When I got in trouble, I would pray. But it's like taking God off the shelf. Remember, like a phone book. You know, we don't use the phone book too much anymore with technology. But remember the phone book? You had to get it. You found the number. When you found it, you dial it and you put the phone book back in its place till next time. I had that. That was my relationship with God. And actually, a Gideon told me that God didn't want me to just have him like on the shelf and take him off when I need him. But he told me that the cross, what the cross really meant... Is the cross was the place where my sins were paid for. where God made a way that I could have a personal relationship with Him. And one day spend all eternity in heaven. And I tell you, when I heard that, something in my heart said, I want that. Because I was not happy in what I was doing. The world had not made me happy. The things that it offered, whether it was pleasure, whether it was, you know, I thought education would do it. A scholarship didn't do it. Girlfriends didn't do it. Baseball didn't do it. It was something missing. And what was missing was a relationship with God that I could have and enjoy every day of my life. And I prayed a prayer a long time ago and asked Christ to forgive me and told Him that I wanted to commit my life to Him. And I surrendered to Jesus. And I want to tell you what, fam, my life has never been the same. I guarantee this room today is filled with hundreds of people with the same testimony. Christ can change your life if you have the courage to turn from your ways and begin to follow Him. So I wonder if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, you're talking right to me now. I want to make that step to Christ. Whether this is the first time you've ever done it or whether the world pulled you away and today you wanted to get back on track with God, we'd be honored to pray with you. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to commit my life to Christ. Would you raise your hand? Do it real quickly this morning. I want to pray for you. God bless you, dear. God bless you over there. Somebody else. Somebody else. God bless you. God bless you too, pal, over here. Somebody else, pray for me. God bless you in the back, dear. Somebody else, pray for me today. Pray for me today. I want to get my life right with God. I want to put my life. God bless you too, buddy, in the back there. And over here, God bless you too. Dear God bless you in the back. God bless you, sir, in the back there. Anybody else this morning? All right, listen, our prayer team is coming forwards right now. God bless you. I want you to just come on up. You that lifted your hand, prayer team, come on up right now. You that just lifted your hand and say, I want to commit my life to Christ, come let us pray for you. We've got a gift for you. We want to give you something to help you in your Christian life. You lifted your hand. Come let us pray for you. And if you want prayer for anything this morning, you come on up. If somehow that message touched you and you want to get closer to God, come on, let us pray for you. Come on, Pastor. Begin to sing now. You come, let us pray for you. Give one more big hand as they're coming. I want to get my life right with God. I'm giving Jesus control of my life. This is not joining a church. This is giving your heart to Jesus. You come and let us pray. Come on, church. Sing as people are coming right now. Take that step, friend. Don't be afraid to do it. Make your step. Christ today. Make your step to Christ. Have the courage to stand for Him because He stood for you.